Hi, I'm Claire Davis from Mental Health Chats, and we're here to encourage people to open up conversations about mental health. everyone, I'm Claire Davis and I'm back with Mental Health Chats and we have the series on eating disorders. So I would like to welcome Hope Virgo. Hello Hope, how are you going? I'm good thanks, how are you? I'm very well thank you and Hope is going to tell us um, her story about anorexia recovery. So Hope, would you like to just open up and start with telling us what happened really? Yeah, sure. Um, so I developed anorexia when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, I had quite a difficult childhood, um, found it really difficult to engage in emotions um, and also was sexually abused when I was about 12, 13. And kind of a combination of all of this um, meant that I had to find my own ways to cope with things. So for me, that came out in the form of restricting um, and over-exercising. And the anorexia was just at the time looking like at the time it just felt amazing Like there was no denying that it just felt like this amazing kind of I don't know something that was just keeping me alive keeping me going gave me this value sense of purpose all the time and I pretty much loved how it made me feel for about the next four years and throughout that four-year period I didn't tell anyone about it I was very secretive I rebelled an awful lot in my teens as well so it made it very easy to kind of be doing what I wanted to do out and about and Eventually, though, after four years, that kind of voice in my head wasn't really making me that happy anymore. But instead, I just felt awful all the time. I felt like I was constantly failing. I felt guilty every time I had anything to eat. And my body image had just got so, so bad that I just felt so kind of disgusted at myself constantly. And I didn't really know what to do about it. But because I was so embarrassed about everything, because I didn't want to talk about it with anyone, and because I kept kind of hanging on to the kind of goodness that it made me feel at the start. I was like, maybe that will come back. Maybe I can go back to that at some point. So I kept clinging on to that and kind of pushing myself in that sense to just do what it wanted me to do. Um, but then kind of fast forward through that four year period and ended up being admitted as an outpatient to CAMS. Um, and then finally, after six months, was admitted to hospital where I then spent a year in recovery. Wow, Hope. Thank you for being so honest. Okay. You've been through such an incredible time. So, and it must have been very distressing talking about it actually. So um, what's, what's really important for friends, family and yourself if we're going through something like this is for others to be able to spot the signs so that we can help and mm. also to be able to spot the signs in ourselves. So Hope, have you got any advice on how people could spot them signs in themselves because you obviously worked it out yourself and how others can spot the signs. Yeah. So I guess the first thing is it's like, it, it is really difficult. And I think even if you do occasionally spot the signs in yourself, it's really hard then like the next day you might feel completely different and you might feel like, Oh, it's not that big a deal. And particularly with eating disorders, I think we get so fixated on the physical signs. So we're looking out for the weight changes, the BMI, things like that. And actually quite often it's someone has kind of been carrying the illness for so long before we spot any of those visible signs. Mm -hmm. um, so I think firstly, like it's really important obviously to not wait until those visible signs, but to look at how someone is behaving around a meal times, so whether that's someone looking really distressed, 
distracted suddenly, whether that's someone looking quite agitated or maybe you know someone who every time you start cooking, they come straight into the kitchen and they're kind of in your face trying to work out exactly what's going in the food, what they're having um, and things like that. And then there's change in food patterns, just generally the change in exercise routines. And I think what's really difficult right now is that we live in this society where there is just so much disordered eating and we've kind of normalized like eating disorder culture. So it means that actually when you do have someone you're worried about, it can feel like you don't know whether you are actually picking up on something really serious or whether maybe they've, they're just kind of going through, I don't know, going through some of a diet or something like that. And I think for me, it's like, as soon as the eating disorder starts to have some control, so it stops you going out with your friends, stops you wanting to go for certain meals and things like that, that's when it's a red flag that actually something isn't quite right. That's, you're, you've just turned on a light bulb for me, actually, and I've been training mental health first aid, as people know, for quite some time now, and it's as soon as the eating disorder becomes in control, that was the word you used, wasn't it? In control is a light bulb and that's a very interesting way of looking at it actually that the eating disorder is in control of you so what we want to do is get in control of our healthy eating really and you also mentioned hope exercise Mm. so so tell me about the exercise side of things because often we just associate anorexia to people who don't eat so is there exercise involved as well or yeah, so for some people, um, there is, yeah, like an obsession with exercise. So exercising for completely the wrong reasons, whether it's to lose weight, whether it's to burn calories, to earn what you're eating. And again, all of that mindset is one that is so infiltrated in society, isn't it? That yeah. it again makes it harder to spot. But for me, my illness was so wrapped up in the over-exercise. So I was at, when I was at school, kind of junior school, I was very good at long distance running. I was in all the sports teams, kind of really, really loved it. But then the more unwell I got, I just started to get obsessed with exercising. I'd be kind of working out in my bedroom, kind of into the early hours of the morning, like sneaking off to the gym, all of that sort of stuff. And I now still have to be quite vigilant about actually how much I'm exercising and whether I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I'm in a space where I've kind of shit, kind of changed that. So it is about my headspace and about everything like that. But actually for a lot of people, it takes a very long time to take, like kind of take that step to do that. So I think a big sign to look out for is that change in exercise, whether it's someone who starts kind of obsessively working out and not allowing themselves a rest day and not allowing themselves to just sit on the sofa all day and watch Netflix and things like that. Because again, that's just creating this like unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. That's very, very interesting, very important. We do need our rest days. Our bodies need our rest days. And we're living in a society where we're expected to be on this treadmill. And that's what I'm all about with positive mental health. Let's have our me time, have our top-ups, have our fun times as well. So you've obviously been on a very, very long road to recovery. So can you give um, everybody who's listening or watching um, some tips on what are, how did you manage to get to this stage of recovery? Um, yeah, really good question. Um, so I, I, I normally say like I'm in an ongoing state of recovery. So I think I still have bad days every now and again, and I do still struggle from time to time. But now on those days, um, I know what I need to do to stay well. And I know what my triggers are. I know what those coping mechanisms are. And I find it much easier now to not be kind of 
drawn back into those unhealthy coping mechanisms that maybe I picked up in the past. But I think for me, like going to treatment was what I needed. And I think some people, if you get in there early enough, and I am a firm believer in early intervention and preventing someone's mental health kind of escalating to a space where they're not able to manage out in the community. But for me, I needed to go into that treatment because it had been left so long and all those patterns of behavior were so ingrained. And in my time in treatment, I had a lot of really, really good therapy. I did a number of really, really good exercises um, to try and help me to kind of accept that I had an issue, but then get to a space where I was able to kind of push myself into a better headspace in recovery. Um, but I think apart from that kind of the treatment that I've had, I think the other things that have helped is just working out who is my support network. So having that space to feel really, really heard, because when we don't feel heard, that's when we want to go back to those unhealthy coping mechanisms to show people that we're not okay. And I guess in a way it's kind of like, if I'm, if I don't feel heard about a plan, then the easy way to show people that I'm struggling is to restrict again or to over-exercise. But where I'm at now is I would, I would never do that. I'd have to try and be really, really vocal in explaining, actually, this is the issue. This is what I need to see happening. This is how I can kind of work my way forward with that person. Um, and then I think as well, a big thing for me is um, challenging myself from recovery. So yeah. quite often with eating disorders, um, and I think with other mental health issues probably too, is you get to these kind of various plateaus in your recovery where you're like functioning at a really high level. So you're kind of out and about, you've got, your, you've got a job, maybe you're at school, maybe unis, whatever. And you're functioning at that level where actually the kind of illness isn't really dominating you, but it is still having that impact on your life. So it's stopping you kind of living your life kind of as full as you could be living it if you were in this better space in recovery. And I know for me, like actually I realized this about four years ago that it was still dominating some of my thinking, whether that was kind of going out for dinner and not always getting what I wanted off a menu or when I was in Sainsbury's, I might be like, oh, I quite fancy some chocolate on it, but my brain doesn't want me to have it. And so I made this like massive effort to actually start to really, really challenge it and really kind of push it and battle it. And yes, it felt uncomfortable, but the more we challenge it and the more we push it, I think the easier it gets. And whilst I am in this ongoing state of recovery, I do really believe that actually, if you get to the root cause of what the issue is, and if you work out what has caused the eating disorder, and if you work through all of that, and you take that time to really invest in yourself, then actually you can get to a state where you can fully recover. And yeah. in, in, like in the UK, particularly, it's really difficult because I think quite often with treatment, we just refeed people and discharge them. And we haven't dealt with those underlying issues. But actually as an individual taking that responsibility and ownership to then really tackle that underlying stuff, I think is just crucial in recovery as well. Excellent. That's absolutely brilliant advice. And I think also what people um, need to understand is everybody's triggers are different and everybody's recovery is different. So I love your point. You've, you've turned on so many light bulbs for <laughs> getting to that root cause. Mm. We can understand that root cause and that's with any mental health condition, yeah. any mental health concern, we can do something about it. And the, the road to recovery, um, the statistics are something like it's at least two years for recovering for eating disorders. But for some people, it's a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so it's being patient with people. And fully understanding 
And I love the fact, Hope, that now you're you're working to help other people. Um, and I I work and talk in a lot of schools as well. But you're giving talks to teenagers in schools, which is absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to be putting your website link up to if there's anybody out there, any people in charge of mental health in schools, do contact Hope. Look at her. She's amazing and very inspirational and I think a great role model for teenagers to help others. And would you like to tell everybody about your book as well? Um, sure. So um, I've got a book called Stand Tall Little Girl, um, which is all about kind of my recovery journey. So starting from, yeah, like really, really early age to then getting to this place now. Um, and it talks a lot about kind of my hospital admission, um, about what helped them to take those steps forward in recovery, but also it's written in such a way that like, I think it I think it is really relatable to people and I think the thing that I wanted to do with the book was just make sure that people didn't have like this kind of glamorous idea around eating disorders that people increase their own understanding and I think like you touched on it a moment ago with the whole kind of like thing with recovery is we all have yeah we all take a different amount of time we all have these different steps and I think for me like actually it was it's been a really long journey and I've relapsed and I've got back on top of it and yeah and I think that's okay actually so the way that I write my book is actually kind of sharing that whole kind of honest journey of recovery like showing people that yes you can recover but it, it is really hard work but it's that work that is difficult to do but it's totally worth it excellent thank you so much stand tall little girl and we'll put the link for the book in as well so thank you so much um we're continuing with the series on eating disorders and my next guest is a lady called Vicky Midwood, who is going to be talking about managing compulsive eating disorders. She coaches and works with people to manage compulsive eating disorders. So thank you very much, Hope. Um, you've been so inspiring. I've loved speaking with you and working with you. So take care and um, look after yourself. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the chat. If you found any of the tips useful, follow Mental Health Chats. Thank you.